if you think about the Passover, we focus on Christ's death. You know, that's, that's where we start. That's where we should start. And his sacrificial death, our Passover, the Passover lamb for us, I think we have an advantage over so many because we don't see that as the end of the story. You know, I feel like so many people look at that as, well, that's it. It's all done. You know, Jesus did it all. And I think that the holy days give you the perspective of, no, it's the beginning rather than the end. Uh, the beginning of an amazing and astounding sequence of transformation. Transformation. And there are great glorious steps along the way. Salvation from death. Growth into the fullness of Christ. Resurrection to everlasting spirit-born life. And for those who are in Christ at his return, marriage with him. And a special place in the family of God and a glorious, never-ending future. So it is a big plan. The Passover is not the end of the plan. It's the beginning of the plan. And so these are the steps that we rehearse each year as we move into the Holy Day cycle. Once again, for some people, this is, oh, I don't know, 50, 40, 30. For me, it's 34 times. And uh, we rehearse it each year. We go through the seven annual holy days of our God. Now the Passover, well the Passover, it, it was always planned and it was always meant to be. The Passover sacrifice of Jesus was always part of God's plan even before human beings were created. It was the plan. It was part of God's plan. This is not something that is a band-aid put on a problem, it was always the plan. The actual event, the timing when Jesus' death would occur, would come, oh, I think it was, uh, I'm going to get the date wrong now, 31 AD, and um, it was pictured and foretold, though, many years before, which is another way that God shows you, look, I've always planned it this way. This is just unrolling the way it was planned, and that happened 1,450 years, rounding a little bit there, before the death of Christ. And that was the Passover that we're going to look at today. So Passover is the beginning. Passover is the beginning. Turn to Exodus 12, verse 2. And we'll take a look at verses 2 and 3. It says here, This month... This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. That's the opening phrase, the, you know, the opening beginning of the instructions about the Passover. And God is emphasizing a point right there. That this time is to be considered the beginning. It is the beginning of the annual Holy Day cycle, as I've just mentioned. It's also the beginning of the year for the people. It's the beginning of the year in the calendar that the Israelites had, which is based on the solar system, by the way. So it's baked right into the creation itself. That's a different subject, though. And as I mentioned, 
already it is the beginning of God's amazing, astounding plan. Amazing and astounding because, well, partly because it's hidden under a mountain of false teaching. And so when, when someone finds it, they're amazed and astounded, but it's all there. So the Passover is a beginning, and it requires some follow-through. Now that I've mentioned the mountain of error, I'm going to have to, I'm going to do something that I have to do, but I, I don't always like to do. I'm going to give airtime to uh, human tradition and error. I want to talk about a couple of traditions and errors that are out there. Not that I see these as being problematic or that I, anyone's come up to me in, in, in the congregation and said, well, what about this, what about this, what about that? But I look at this as more like a preemptive strike, if you will, to just say, okay, let's get our foundation firm and solid because people come at you with some interesting perspectives and wrong traditions and errors. The errors that I'm going to look at, the errors of human tradition and teaching, I think, and they play into the, the concept of this message um, because they blur the distinction between the Passover and the Days of Unleavened Bread. So I've spoken of the Passover as a beginning, which implies that there's a following, right? That something comes after it. And blurring the distinction between the Passover and the Days of Unleavened Bread and kind of mushing them all together blurs that progress of God's plan, that there is something that comes after the death of Jesus Christ. One problem is you get a calendar, right? And what do you see on a calendar? Well, you look at a calendar and you see <gasps> Passover. And you're, you're, this is a calendar from the American Diabetes Association. It says Passover right there. Okay, and you probably have a calendar like this if you keep a calendar on your wall. So you see that. So that creates a little bit of confusion because you look at the calendar and you see the Passover on, <gasps> it's on Friday, right? Okay. Um, it's in that little square there. And then it causes people to wonder, well, why do we gather for the Passover on Thursday, right? And it causes confusion. And it even causes confusion among people who, you know, come, they read the, script, they read the scriptures and they read our literature and stuff like that. It still has the potential to mess people up. Are we observing it a day before everybody else? Are we observing the Passover before everybody else? Because we're doing it Thursday night instead of when it says on the calendar. Is that what's happening? For example, the Jewish people. Are we doing it a day before them? No. You know the answer why? I know you know. Okay, well, it's because the day begins when? The evening. The day begins in the evening. And this is God's reckoning of time, which once again is one of those things that's baked into the visible universe. Days begin at that time when the sun goes down. And we see the same thing with the Sabbath, of course. All right, so the 14th day of Nisan, which is the biblical month when this is happening, begins in the evening. And that is why we keep the Passover in the evening. Now, my guess is that most of you have worked your way through all that, but it does cause confusion. And even when I'm, when I'm putting together the newsletter, I always have to double check the dates and everything like that. Because, you know, you see, oh, the Passover is on on the, the 18th, oh, well, yeah, but we're going to meet on the day before because I have to, you know, you know what I mean? It causes a little bit of, just a little bit of confusion. And this, this timing 
this keeping of the Passover in the nighttime portion of the 14th day corresponds with scripture, and that's why we do it, right? And we're going to take a look at those scriptures. The next day, that whole 24-hour period is the Passover, but we begin it in the evening, as soon as the day begins. So that's one of the things that causes a problem, where there's this human tradition of the Roman calendar, which is calculated differently. And we work with that, you know, to keep our jobs and, you know, make sure we're getting our kids to the soccer game on time and so forth. But the God's calendar is a little different, but we work it out. Okay, another one of the errors that can kind of mess people up when they think about the Passover is the meaning of this word evening. I don't want to get anybody off on a wild tangent, but I have seen people devote almost their entire life to trying to define what this word means, which is not a good idea, and I don't advise it. But the word evening, well, here's the problem. The word evening refers to the end of a day, but it also refers to the beginning of the day. It means the same. It, it, it applies to both situations because it's that time when you move from day X to day Y. Okay, so the evening, the meaning of the word evening does cause confusion. And it's used both ways in scripture as well. It is used to signify the beginning of a day and it is used to signify the end of another day. Okay, so it's used both ways. That causes some confusion. We'll take a look at that in more detail. Third problem, the third area that causes confusion is Jewish tradition. You know, you saw in that video where the kid said, oh, people, you know, I say I'm a different kind of Christian, and then what do they say? Oh, are you a Jew? Anybody ever had that happen to you? Yeah, right. So you've got these th people who look at you and say, oh, you must be a Jewish. And then why don't you do things the way the Jews do? Well, the Jewish tradition about Passover can cause confusion. The Jews kill the lamb on the afternoon portion of the 14th day. Still on the Passover day, but they're killing it in the afternoon. And we'll take a look at the scriptures that show why we look at it differently. And they eat their meal after that. So the meal that the Jewish people eat is actually that evening that starts into the holy day, the 15th day. And it causes all kinds of confusion for people. And they think, once again, oh, you guys are keeping it on a different day. You're doing it a day before. No, no, we're not. No. And we'll go through that in more detail, okay? We say that the Jewish tradition has got the timing wrong. And then to add a little bit more confusion, I'm sorry, I'm showing, throwing out here all the stuff that causes problems. We will work them through. And then people will say, well, what about Jesus, the Passover lamb? He was killed in the afternoon. Doesn't that prove that the Jewish people have the right time to kill the, kill the lamb? That can cause problems. It does. So these conundrums are out there. And if you've never thought about them before, and I've brought them to your attention, I'm sorry it's a risk I had to take because I want to talk about and I want to make sure we understand why we do what we do and why we do it in the time that we do. So these conundrums, these riddles, these you know, problems have the effect of blurring the distinction between the Passover and the Days of Unleavened Bread. Consider what I just said about the, the, the Jewish tradition. It blurs the distinction between those two events. The beginning of the first holy day is a very separate thing from the Passover. 
Walk through it with us enough times and you'll start to understand why and how. But it is a distinct event and it needs to be considered and remembered as a unique and distinct event. And it plays into the what I was saying earlier about God has a plan. Step one, step two, step three, step four. And the Passover is the beginning. And we don't want to mix step one and two together. It's very important. I hope to bring out why. We'll see that both the Old and the New Testament confirm how the Church of God keeps these days. With regard to the New Testament, Jesus clearly instructs his disciples to keep and prepare for Passover together with him the night before his death. That is pretty plain, right? And he speaks of it as keeping the Passover. You know, I have sincerely desired to keep this Passover with you. And it happened the night before his death, which addresses that conundrum, if you will, that I mentioned earlier, where people say, well, what about when Jesus died? Well, Jesus specifically told us in his own words, he was keeping the Passover that evening before his death. So that hopefully takes that one and puts it over on the, okay, dealt with pile. So Jesus' own statements and his own practice are what guide the church's position that the Passover is to be observed at the beginning of the 14th day, which is when the sun goes down, which this year will be at 7.50 p.m. Now, the timing and the sequence of the first Passover, which is recorded in the book of Exodus, also shows that the eating of the Passover takes place at the very beginning of the 14th day, sundown. So it would have been 7.50 in the evening, okay? Then... The Exodus narrative record there shows something very different takes place when the 15th day starts. And we don't want to blur them together by trying to make them into the same thing. Okay, I put all this on the table. We are only going to have time to take a look at the Old Testament. The Looking at the New Testament and what, what they did is worthy of an entire message on its own. And I want to focus today on the Old Testament. I think, I think the summary that I offered kind of gives you the nutshell view of it, and we can go and back it up with Scripture. But we're going to spend our time today taking a look at the Old Testament record of the Passover and the Days of Unleavened Bread, at least the, first, the beginning of the Days of Unleavened Bread. The New Testament record is fascinating on its own, but we only have time for one. Okay, so this handout, uh, handy-dandy ha- handout, walks you through the events of the Old Testament Passover, and I think graphically helps you kind of wrap your mind around the difference between the days and when stuff happens. We read earlier that um, on the 10th day of the, of, e- of the month, on the 10th day, each family of Israel was to select a lamb without blemish. All right, so the, the day is starting here. You know, the nighttime portion of the day begins here, and then it kind of goes through this way, and there's the daytime. And in the evening, and another nighttime, and another daytime. Okay, so it's going this way. And at the beginning there, you'll see that each family selects a lamb beforehand, uh, a lamb without blemish, and they would keep that lamb until the 14th day began, happening right there at sunset. And the 14th day would begin when the sun went down that evening. Beginning in the evening, and then on through the night, they were to kill the lamb, 
and prepare it, roast it, and eat it. And then they would smear the, some blood from the lamb on the lintels and the doorposts of their doorways to protect themselves from the angel of death sent that night, which was sent to strike the firstborn of every family in Egypt at midnight. The death of the Passover lamb occurred during the nighttime portion of that 24-hour period, the 14th day. Exodus, we're in chapter 12. Take a look at verses 6 through 13, and you'll see these things noted on this graphic, okay? Uh, Exodus 12, verse 6 through 13. Take care of them, these lambs, until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the house where they eat the lamb or lambs. They are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water but roasted over a fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it until the morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it, and this is how you are to eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, eat in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So, the night of the 14th, again, that same night that we gather together, or will gather together, to eat the Passover. That's the night that we are talking about, the night that begins the 14th day. We will drink the body, or sorry, drink the blood and eat the body of Jesus Christ, our Passover. And this is the blood that saves us from death, not the blood that's spread on the door, but the, you know, the bread and the wine that we share, the blood that we accepted when we were baptized. We're in Exodus 12. Let's go down to verse 21. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on the top and the bottom, sorry, and both sides of the doorframe. None of you shall go out the door of your house until morning. Very important phrase. None of you go out of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the tops and sides of the doorframe, and he will pass over the doorway, and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your house and strike you down. So, they're grounded. <laughs> okay, they got to stay home. And Moses is passing on God's instructions to Israel. And note that key phrase, stay in your homes until morning. So they were to stay indoors in their houses, the entire nighttime portion of the 14th day. Now, Exodus 12, let's go down to verse 29. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night and there was loud wailing in Egypt for there was not a house without someone dead. During the nighttime portion, again, that, that nighttime portion that we're looking at here, okay, all this stuff happens. The death angel strikes down the firstborn of Egypt 
And then uh, if you read on in verse 31, later that same night, what happens is the Pharaoh that night sends word to Moses and to Aaron that he wants Israel to get out of Egypt. Note that I said sends word. Sends word. Since Moses and Aaron would have stayed indoors. And if you know the scriptures well, you know that the Pharaoh had previously said a few days earlier, get out of my sight and never show your face around here again. And Moses said, you will never see me again. So he didn't, you know, he didn't go and see the Pharaoh that night. He was indoors. Pharaoh sent word. Now, let's drop down to verse 33. The Egyptians, and we'll read through 36. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country. For otherwise, they said, we will all die. So the people took their dough before the yeast was added, and they carried it on their shoulders in kneading troughs wrapped in clothing. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people, and they gave them what they asked for. So they plundered the Egyptians. Now, this is happening when? After daybreak, right? They've stayed indoors all night long. Daybreak comes, and everybody comes out of their houses, and the world will never be quite the same. The Egyptians, well, they wanted Israel gone. Get out of here. And they urge them on their way. And the Egyptians give them jewelry, clothing, and stuff like that. Basically all kinds of portable wealth. If you think about it, that's, that's, that's a lot of stuff. Because there's like millions of people involved in this. So this is going to take a while. So this transfer of goods could have only taken place during the daytime portion of the 14th day. And so now we're into this white area here. Okay, we've passed through the dark. We're going into the white area. So that's what would be happening then. That, you know, all, those, all that uh, money served a very practical purpose because it basically was an infusion of cash and stuff that the Israelites used to build the temple and do all that cool stuff they did out in the desert. They used all this material that they got. That's kind of a sidebar, though. Israel, it's important to note, did not go out of Egypt until the next night. They did not go out of Egypt on the night there of the 14th, this black part here. During this day, they had a lot of stuff to do. They had a million, well, several million people to get together. They had to gather all their stuff. They had to, you know, they got all this loot from the Egyptians. So they had a busy day. They had a lot of stuff to take care of. Now, I'm not saying they didn't get a head start. Maybe they headed out sometime in the afternoon, but it doesn't really make difference to the main point. They did not go out on the nighttime portion of the 14th. They couldn't have. God had told them to stay indoors. Now, remember, we're talking, uh, it says elsewhere in scriptures that we're looking at 600,000 Israelite men, which means households. So 600,000 households, which, you know, it's, like I said, it's a few million people. And just consider the logistics. By the end of the daytime portion of the 14th day, they were ready to head out. And night would be falling. The evening would come. The evening that ends the 14th day and begins the 15th day would be coming. And they would be ready to head out. Exodus 12, verse 41. And we'll read through uh, just two verses, 42. 
At the end of the 430 years, to the very day, all the Lord's divisions left Egypt. Because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt, on this night all the Israelites are to keep vigil to honor the Lord for the generations to come. Well, that very day that we're referring to here is the 15th day of the month. So we're heading into this second section here, the 15th day of the month, which begins again in the evening, the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which begins at sundown. That is why we call that night the night to be much observed, because we keep a vigil. Now, it doesn't give us details on how we're to keep our vigil. We choose to have a meal, but it says keep a vigil, and that's, the, that's where we get the night to be much observed. Now, let's turn to Deuteronomy 16, verse 1. This is a section of Deuteronomy that's giving, uh, just looking at the um, holy days as a time of the nation gathering together. And it adds a little detail here that's very worthwhile for our uh, message today. It says in verse 1, Observe the month of Aviv and celebrate the Passover of the Lord your God because in the month of Aviv he brought you out of Egypt by night. All right, now what he's talking about there would be this night here when they would get all their stuff together and they're heading out of Egypt. They went out by night. It couldn't be the 14th day. Why? Because they were told to stay home all night long. Numbers 33, verses 3 through 4. Uh, this is looking at, this is a section of numbers that is sort of going through. Here are the, the journeyings of Israel. And so it begins at the beginning, which is heading out of Egypt. All right, so verses 3 and 4 say the Israelites set out from Ramses. This is place in Egypt. They set out from Ramses on the... 15th day, okay? They set out on the 15th day of the first month, the day after Passover. And they marched out defiantly in full view of the Egyptians who were burying their firstborn, whom the Lord had struck down among them, for the Lord had brought judgment on their gods. So the scriptures tell us, show us, in more than one place, they went out on the 15th day. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time discussing why other people are wrong, but to have your Passover meal this night doesn't make any sense. And we don't do that. We do have the night to be much observed, which is meant to be a vigil. We like to eat, so we, <laughs> we have a meal together, right? I mean, whenever we get together, we like to eat. I'm, I'm sure you picked that up about the church, right? We like to eat. Okay, so they went out on the 15th, but the Passover had taken place on the 14th. They ate the lamb that night when they were in their homes, huddled under those doorways that had blood smeared on them. Point. What? Right, a lot of details. What am I getting at? Why do I think this is important? The Passover is separate from the days of unleavened bread. Yep, they're side by side, but they are separate. And I hearken back to that initial statement that I made about the Passover is just the beginning. And I would add to that, the death and sacrifice of Jesus Christ is also just the beginning. That's a different message, which I, I think I've given here already. But it's the beginning. And unfortunately, a lot of people get lost in the clouds there because they think it's all, it's done. 
That's it. No, it's the beginning. It's not the end. It's very important, but it's not the end. What comes after the Passover is very, very important. We're going to look at that a little bit here. And that's why it's important to look at them as separate things. So the practice of Jewish tradition and the interpretation that they have blur the distinction between the Passover and the Days of Unleavened Bread, which is not good. They are separate and distinct days that depict separate and distinct steps in God's plan of salvation, which is why we get very particular about how we do it. We don't want to roll it all together because these are different steps. We put out our leavening before the 15th day. So we are ready, right? Because, you know, when, you, when the days of unleavened bread begin here, we should have all the leavening out of our lives. Okay, so the deleavening starts beforehand on the 14th day or earlier. <laughs> My wife has already started, and uh, she was cleaning up stuff, and I don't know, maybe you do this too, but I said, look, it's three weeks. This is, you know, a while ago. She started a week and a half ago. I said, three weeks? How are we going to keep all the leavening out of the kitchen for three weeks? So she started a long way in advance, but the you prepare for the days of unleavened bread. You get ready, and you know, so you have no leaven in your house starting that evening when the fifteenth day begins. Right. So the deleavening starts beforehand. Uh, just on a, on a little side note, um, go to John nineteen, verse thirty-one. Interesting little detail that John adds here. He says, "Now it was the day of preparation." Right. So this is the day when Jesus dies, and they're taking him off the cross, and they want to put him in the tomb. This was the day of preparation, and the next way was, day was to be a special Sabbath. And John says, it's, a, it's not just a regular weekly Sabbath, it's a high day. And if you're reading it, I think in the King James it says a high day. Yeah. So it's a special Sabbath. It's the holy day. And the day of preparation is that time when you prepare for being unleavened. All right. So, sidebar. So, it can very easily in our minds get all rolled together, and we want to avoid that. If you go back to verse 14, it says it was the day of preparation of the Passover. Okay? So there's an example in Scripture where they rolled it together in their minds, and they would speak of them interchangeably. So the day of preparation, which to, could have taken place on the Passover, but it wasn't preparation for the Passover. It was the preparation for the day, first day of unleavened bread. So that's an example of where, yeah, even in Scripture, I mean, in Scripture records what really happened, and people rolled it together in their mind. They got it all put together like, oh, this is all just one big festival. And uh, we, we go through a great deal of effort in the church to make sure we separate these two and keep them separate and distinct. Okay, so people would call the whole season, ah, oh, well, the Passover season. And again, that would kind of blur the distinction a little bit. So there's this entire eight-day-long period Right, which consists of the Passover on the 14th day, which is, by the way, not an annual Sabbath. It's not a high day, which is followed by seven complete days of unleavened bread, which begins on the 15th day. And the first and last of those days are considered annual Sabbaths. Go to Leviticus 23. And let's just read this, um, verse 5 and 6. It says, The Lord's Passover begins at twilight on the 14th day, of the first month. And then it doesn't say anything about a holy convocation or anything like that because it, it's not a high day. It's not a day of 
no work. It's not a Sabbath type day. Then it says, on the 15th day of the month, the Lord's festival of unleavened bread begins. For seven days you must eat bread without yeast. On the first day hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. For seven days present a food offering to the Lord, and on the seventh day hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. So those are the instructions we have about those two first steps, which go boom, boom, right away. Passover is the beginning, and then it's followed by something separate and distinct, which has a separate and distinct meaning. The Passover is the beginning. What happens in your life after you accept Christ's sacrifice? And that's because that's what the Passover is all about. It's a memorial reminding you of that time when you accepted that Jesus Christ had to die to pay for your sins. But you've got a lot of living left to do, right? And stuff comes after that. Yeah, you've got a lot of living going on after that, after you accept Christ's sacrifice to pay the penalty for your sins. And that time of your life is just as important as that moment of repentance and acceptance. You don't want to just stop there at that moment of repentance and acceptance because there's a lot more to go. That's just the beginning. I think that's kind of a mental mistake that people make when they think, well, that's it. It's all there. It's all done. No, there's so much more. And God's holy day sequence and cycle walks you through that. And the days of unleavened bread are very important because they picture what comes next. What comes next in your life after you're baptized and after you accept Christ's sacrifice is putting on the mind of Christ and putting to death the works of the flesh and living in the fruits of the spirit, seeking to live in obedience repenting of sin, putting the bad stuff out and bringing good stuff in. And that's what the Days of Unleavened Bread are all about. You get the bad stuff out, you bring the good stuff in, right? Yeah, you get rid of the unleavened, the, un, the leavened bread, you know, vanity and all that, and you bring in the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. There's so much more to it, but that's, the, that's, the, that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. Yeah. Okay, so there's a lot, of, lot, of, lot left to do. And this is what the Days of Unleavened Bread remind us of. Sadly, though, and I know this isn't you, many people, many people out there, especially people who become convicted of the Sabbath, they will also become convicted because they read the scriptures and it's so much, it's like there, it's so in your face, they become convinced regarding the need to keep the Passover. And you'll see that. People will say, oh yeah, the Passover, that totally makes sense. But then they, they don't do the Days of Unleavened Bread. You see that a lot. Because the Passover is like, yeah, because they see the you know, way it ties in to the sacrifice of Christ and his you know, death and it pays the penalty for sin. And people, people will get into that. And then they'll completely, bloop, go over all the rest. And that's why I'm focusing on the Passover as the beginning. And you don't want to stop at the beginning. That would be like getting it ready for a race. I'm right, get set, go, and you don't go anywhere. Days of unleavened bread are the race. Okay? A lot of analogies flying around here today, right? Many people become convicted of the Passover as a memorial of the death of Christ and inauguration of the new covenant and forgiveness of sin. But then, you know, they skip over the rest of it. And I think there's more of them than there are of us. Go to Exodus 12 again. And even among people who are Sabbath keepers, we stick out because we're, we're getting into the whole Holy Day plan here. Exodus 12, 
Exodus 12, and let's take a look at verse 14 through 20. This is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. So we're talking about the days of unleavened bread here. For seven days you are to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses. For whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through the seventh must be cut off from Israel. And on the first day, hold a sacred assembly and another one on the seventh day. Do no work at all on these two days there except to prepare food for everyone to eat. And that is all you may do. So the day that's being spoken of here is the 15th day, right? And like all days in God's calendar, it begins with sundown. After sundown, there is, again, and we're looking at this, after sundown here, the 15th day begins, then there's some sort of vigil, which we've talked about. And we, we do that, as, and we keep that as the night to be much observed. And then, during the daytime portion, we will have a sacred assembly. We will gather together, like we do today, and we will have what we call a holiday. At this point, all the leaven should be gone. Okay, you've had your time to, re to prepare all the leaven should be gone. You're going to live for seven days with no leaven in your life, no leaven in your house. Which sometimes can be a challenge, <laughs> just like life, right? And you start eating only unleavened bread. Now, verse 17 tells us this is a permanent ordinance to serve as a remembrance or a memorial of our deliverance from sin. For Israel, that meant their deliverance from bondage to the nasty Egyptians who were awful to them. And for us, that means your deliverance from sin that rules over your life to the degree that it has the potential and the probability, if you don't do something about it, to keep you from ever laying hold to life everlasting. And in that way, unto death. And you are delivered from that. And that begins... You know, you, you, you accept the sacrifice here, and then you start living a new life. What are we memorializing? A memorial is something we do to remember people or events. A non-biblical example would be one that's coming up right now, which is Memorial Day. Come on, that was an easy one. I gave you a real soft pitch there. Yeah, like Memorial Day, for example, which is a day we have to remember the fallen soldiers, right? Yeah, <laughs> I thought it was an easy one there. I didn't hear you calling it out. All right, yeah, okay. So first, first, let's take a, take a look at what we're memorializing here. We have the memorial of the Passover, which is a remembrance of the forgiveness of and the redemption from our sins, okay? And that's the beginning of God's plan, his plan to bring us to the completeness in Christ. And Jesus said, specifically, he said, do this in remembrance of me. And he changed it and made it into a new covenant thing. We go through that at other times. We're looking at the Old Testament one right here. And we do that. And when do we do that? On the 14th day, starting at the nighttime right here. We will gather together and we will share that meal as Jesus did with his disciples. But why would you want to stop at the beginning? Like that racer, you know, 
go. Why? Why suit up? Why get ready? Why hear the shot and not run down the track? It just doesn't make sense. Now, the forgiveness of past sins is necessary. It has to happen. It has to start there. You can't begin to approach God and have a relationship with God until that's dealt with. Then you move on. So it's necessary, but sin is not, is not done with you yet. <laughs> sin is not done with you yet. And uh, it keeps coming after you. It wants you. Some of it comes from within. Some of it comes from without. Some of it is, you know, spiritual wickedness in high places. Sin is like the Pharaoh. Think of the story that we've got there of Israel's deliverance. And they go out and they end up there in the boxed canyon. And Pharaoh says, what have I done? And they go out and they chase after them, right? Sin is like that. It is not going to just let you go lying down. It is coming after you. Okay, so you don't, you can't stop there. You can't. It just doesn't allow you to stop there. So the second thing that we're memorializing, okay, and this would be the 15th day, okay, another time of remembrance, is a time to remember our deliverance from bondage. Because remember, this is when they leave Egypt. And this is when we enter our deleavened homes. You know, they've probably been deleavened before that, but this is when we begin that seven-day period of no leaven, a time for deliverance from sin. Now, for Israel, it was deliverance from very real bondage. You know, they were in forced labor camps. Things were really grim. For you, it is bondage to ways of thinking and acting that God detests, does not like, does not approve of, and won't have in, in eternity. Uh, ways of thinking and acting that will ruin your hope of participating in the glorious future. That amazing, astounding future that God has planned for you. So the Passover is the beginning. Why observe the 14th, deliverance from sin, but neglect the days of unleavened bread, going forth and living a new life? The days of unleavened bread are just that, a reminder to go forth and sin no more which is what has to come after your, your forgiveness and that time when God passes over you. And the Days of Unleavened Bread are a time for us to be reminded that part of going forth and sinning no more is to keep his law, to look at the fruits of the Spirit and live them, to get rid of the things that God detests. There's a lot more that can be said about that and will be said, not today, but during the rest of the year. We put on righteousness and godly virtues and the fruits of the Holy Spirit and love. We get rid of leavening from our homes, which pictures what? Putting out sin. Yes, good. Putting out sin and exchanging it for what? What comes in in the place of that unleavened or that leavening that goes out the door? Unleavened bread. Which pictures the what? The righteousness, right. The unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. The days of unleavened bread last how long? We've done this a couple times. How long does it last? You guys are getting good. All right, it lasts seven days. It lasts seven days. Um, so it's not like the Passover, which lasts how long? One day. 
Or let's say trumpets. How long does trumpets last? One day. And the, you know, those, sig those signify different events in the plan of God. They're kind of like, boom, surgical strikes, you know. <laughs> trumpets being the return of Christ and so forth. But the seven-day-long period shows us that this is meant to convey something a little different because it takes time to accomplish all that going forth and sin no more. It takes time. It takes a lifetime. And it's a process of putting out the bad stuff and putting on the good stuff, and it has to be done. And if you've lived long enough, you know it has to be done, and it has to be done again, and then it has to be done again. You have to keep doing it until it's complete. And we grow into the completeness and the maturity and the fullness of, of Christ. Now, I would put it to you that the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread is probably seven days long because seven is a number that in Scripture signifies completeness. Uh, let's, we're in Exodus. Go to chapter 13, and we'll take a look at verses 3 through 10. Then Moses said to the people, Commemorate this day, the day you came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, because the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand. Eat nothing containing yeast. Today, in the month of Aviv, you are leaving. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Hivites, Jebusites, land he swore to your ancestors to give you. Remember all those promises God made to Abraham and Jacob? You are to observe this ceremony in this month. For seven days, eat bread made without yeast, and on the seventh day, hold a festival to the Lord. Eat unleavened bread during those seven days, and nothing with yeast in it is to be seen among you, nor shall any yeast be seen anywhere within your borders. And on that day, tell your son, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. This observance will be for you like a sign on your hand and a reminder on your forehead that this law of the Lord is to be on your lips. For the Lord brought you out of Egypt with his mighty hand. And you must keep this ordinance at the appointed time year after year. This feast is a sign. Remember I was talking about how other people uh, will buy into the the Passover, and then the just say the rest of the Holy Days, nah. And we've had folks that, that have visited us. I don't think it was here. I think it was in Raleigh. And that was exactly their thing. You know, they, they, they liked what they saw, the Sabbath, the Passover, and then <laughs> the Holy Days. What? Uh-uh. Now, it happens. But the feast is a sign. And remember I said it kind of separates you from the others, and it does. That's what God's signs do. But it's a sign and a memorial that the law of God is to be on your lips. You are to teach and judge and live by the word of God. And it is to be written on your hearts and your mind. If you think about the verses that we just read, it says it's to be written on your hand and on your forehead. Which probably reminds you of Revelation, but that's a different thing. Although it's actually very much tied in together, but a tangent. What does that mean? All right, written on your hand, that means it's what you do. What you do. You, know, you do stuff with your hands, you know? And it's written on your forehead, meaning what you think. 
It's what you do, and it's what you think. And this is a sign that God has given you. And the keeping of the days is part of that, the unleavened. You don't eat the leavened bread, but the bigger one, the one that really impacts your life and changes you as a person, is the putting out of the bad stuff and bringing in the good stuff, that unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So the Passover is only the beginning. It starts off God's plan. And there's more to it. And uh, again, some of us have gone through this whole cycle many times. Some of us are just doing it for the first time or the first couple of times. But the Passover is the beginning. Jesus died. But that is not the end of the story. And it is not the end of the message either. There's so much more to say and there's so much more to do. For one thing, he did not stay dead. Right? Jesus was raised up to life through the power of the Father. And that happened during the days of unleavened bread. And he is at the throne of God right now because there's stuff to be done. And he's at the right hand of God there, active, involved, engaged, and doing stuff. He is at work right now as your high priest because there's stuff to be done. He's helping you de-leaven yourself. <laughs> He's helping you put sin out of your life, cleansing yourself from sin and delivering yourself completely from its power. And that power, well, it has a lot of effects, but again, like I mentioned earlier, the power to keep you from receiving the gift of everlasting life. So the Days of Unleavened Bread are a lasting memorial. They are a sign. They're separate from the Passover. They signify a separate step in the plan of God. They are a sign on your hand, what you do, and they are a sign on your forehead, what you think. They are a sign that you are willing to obey and you are willing to keep his commandments in sincerity and truth.